0: It is my privilege to invite you to today's sermon podcast. I have made the Apostle Paul's prayer request my own. When he states in Ephesians six nineteen, Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. May today's sermon come alive to you and aid you in your understanding of God's plan for your life. Well, thank you, ladies. What a great uh, morning of worship it's been. Amen. Amen. love it when those gals sing and lead us in worship. And not to mention, I mean, it's been all ladies this morning. Did you notice that? I'm the only guy up here now, pretty much. Well, there is Jason. Because <laughs> and then, then you got Carrie over here. I love it when she does the Floyd Kramer thing. You know what I mean? You know Floyd Kramer, don't you? Yeah. Well, what's the matter with you? Uh, you know, Flo- Fo- Carrie, You know Floyd Kramer, don't you? Yeah. You want to do a little Floyd Kramer for us? Huh? Come on. I don't care. How about Amazing Grace? You choose your favorite one. Now, while she come up here to do a little Floyd Kramer, why don't you take your Bibles and I'm open up to Matthew chapter 11. And we'll see uh, if you like Floyd Kramer. I can't believe you don't. you don't know Floyd Kramer. You're all going to have to go to Rabbi Google this afternoon and check him out. So go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, there it was. Oh, yeah. we just sing with you? Can we do a little singing with Floyd Kramer this morning? Here we go. Amazing grace, how sweet. Twas grace, huh? Twas grace. that Floyd Kramer? Pretty good stuff, huh? Yeah. Amen. Oh, I love that. Thank you, lady. God's given you a wonderful gift. And uh, you gals, when you lead us in worship, it's just a blessing. So thank you for ministering to our souls today. Well, thanks for being here today. You know, you could have stayed home, could have gone swimming in the river, done some fishing, maybe boating, but you come to church instead. So thanks for taking time to be with us. My prayer is that uh, by the time we leave, uh, God will have spoken to your heart. Uh, I, I loved um, th- that. I've never heard that song, I don't believe, the gal saying, Let me tell you about my Jesus. Oh, that was a that's what I call a money song right there. I mean, you can whip that one up, couldn't you? Man, I I love that. But uh Thanks for being here, and, and if you've joined us by live stream, thank you for being here. Thanks for your faithfulness to the church in these days. By the way, this last Tuesday we had a good board meeting. Uh, don't have a whole lot to report except we had a good board meeting, okay? <laughs> and uh, we got some names for kicking around, praying. The board is working, and our job is to pray, amen? amen. So keep praying, and uh, pray that it doesn't get any hotter while you're at it. Because uh, it's starting to warm me of a south of heaven. It's getting pretty warm. Over 100 this week, isn't it, Rich? Going to be over 100. I don't know. Well, you're a farmer. You should know these things. <laughs> I look to you for my, you know, for my weather report. It okay? okay, lets me down this morning. <laughs> okay, I'll talk to this. Well, it's a pleasure being your interim pastor. And uh, Lynn and I are having good days with you. And I want you to know we're not worried about a thing. We trust the Lord day by day. And you're a real blessing to us. So thank you. And by the way, while I'm doing thank yous, uh, thank you for your support. Those of you who support us going to Africa. I know we gave a little update last week, but um, my land. uh, I would not be able to do what I do unless people just kind of came alongside some of the vision. But I've been thanking God all week long. I've been hearing from our African leaders. Uh, continue to text me and message me and say thank you. So on their behalf, thank you. Um, The water that you put in, the wells you supported, the foundations, the property, you did that and so much more that you don't even know that you participated in. And it might just be a little bit, but uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of that guy that was walking on the beach. You ever hear about the guy walking on the beach? And there were thousands of starfish that have washed up in the sand on the shore. And they were baking in the sun, and they were dying. And he was simply walking down the shore and picking them up one at a time and throwing them as far as he could into the water. Just, And there's thousands of them. He's just taking them and throwing them in the water. and Finally, a guy stopped him and said, What in the world are you doing? He said, I'm saving starfish. He said, Well, you can't. you." You can't make a difference with those starfish. There's thousands of them out here. He bent over, grabbed one, threw it in the water. He said, well, it makes a difference to that one. Now, let me tell you, there are a thousand people without clean water. And when you put in one well, it saves a world of lives. It doesn't save the world, but it saves a world of lives. And if you lived in one of those villages and you were a woman, you would be thinking Jesus that a church by the name of the Nazarenes in Mountain View, Idaho, a place you never heard of, cared enough to make a difference in their village. And it's not just their village. I've never seen one well put in that didn't amount to saving thousands, impacting thousands of lives. So, you plant these seeds, and I'll tell you, uh, it's been my passion all my life. Um, uh, and I've always had a, a big heart for missions. Linda will tell you that. And uh, in fact, my, my daughter in law said, Dad, I think this is what God made you for. I've had people tell me that for years. I get on the, on the foreign fields, it doesn't matter if it's in South America, Ukraine, or Europe, or whatever. And I come alive because I want people to know that are non-Americans, that God loves them as much as he loves us. We just happen to be overly blessed. Amen, church? Okay, well, I better get to my sermon here sooner or later. I got a number of verses, just three or four that I want to read to you. And then I want to talk to you about how I feel about the word of God. And, and I'm positive, I'm positive I'm not going to have enough time this morning to uh, share everything on my heart. But I'll do my best. So. Um, uh let's let's read from chapter 11 and I'm going to start with verse 28 28 is I'm not going to comment on it really but it is part of the text overall and and there's one verse that's really the, the zingers um and, and and that is verse 30 so let's let's start with 28 and thank you for standing in honor of the word of God. We'll start with 28 and go to 30, Matthew chapter 11. These are the very words of Jesus. If you have a red letter edition, these words will be in red, signifying that Jesus said these very words. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden or burdened. Here's the promise of Jesus to you. And I will give you rest. Hallelujah. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle. And I am humble in heart. Isn't that beautiful? For I am gentle. And I am humble in heart. Thank you, Jesus. And you will find rest to your souls. For my yoke... Well, it's easy, and my burden, it's light. Why is it sometimes we make the yoke of Jesus so heavy when Jesus himself says, my my yoke is easy? My burden, it's a light one. Oh, this moves me as I read it this morning. Maybe this isn't for you at all. Maybe it's for me. Maybe I need to be moved, and I am, by the gentle and humble heart of Jesus who calls this old guy to give him rest. Now, Lord, thank you for your word. You've already anointed your word. Now anoint our time together as we open your word that we might see and hear and feel. That We might be able to touch the hymn of the garment of Christ. And God, as that happens, as we've already sung, It's not, Lord, what we're doing. It's what you're doing in us. So I pray you would hide this messenger behind the cross that we would see the Jesus of the cross, Jesus only. And we'll give you all praise, Father, because we want to go out of here changed people. Uh, Some of us need to be changed just a little bit, tweaked a little bit this morning. Some of us need to be changed a bunch. So, God, whatever it is, you do your work. You speak inside as the messenger speaks outside and do the work only you can do and leave not one of us as we came and lord um when that happens we'll know it is you it's a work of god and not of man and that's what we want today lord in jesus name and all god's people said amen Amen. you may be seated well you know the, the bible um this book here we hold so dear um it's the revelation of God's plan. Uh, So, I mean, it's God's story. It's the story of God. Now, we're included in it. We get to be a part of the story. I mean, this this book explains our beginnings. It explains our brokenness, our fallenness. It explains God's remedy. Uh, This is God's book. It's it's what I like to refer to as his love letter to us it It tells his creation who he is, who we are, and how we can walk in 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 love and peace and joy and purpose and meaning I, I love that about this and and, and you know the bible it, it doesn't it it didn't come out of thin air it didn't come out of a vacuum. Um, if you ever went to school with me back when I was in college. Or, or maybe maybe in my seminary days, and you're, you're learning the basic principles in college of of interpretation, inspiration, the authority of the Scripture, um, you begin to understand right away, God's got His DNA all over this book. His hands are all over every page. And you cut it any place, it'll bleed Jesus. I don't care if it's the Old or the New Testament. God's DNA is all over it. So, so I think of this Bible, I mean, it took 1,500 years to write this thing. 1,500 years. It's like no other book. Uh, Forty generations, that would be. Forty different authors. Forty of them. And when you look at these guys, I mean, three different continents, Right? Africa, Europe, Asia. And it comes from a plethora of people. I mean, shepherds, scholars, statesmen, convicts, (laughs) magistrates, kings. It's written by even a fisherman and a tax collector. The book has covered every vocation you can think of. <laughs> and when you look a little deeper, you, you find it's, it's written in a lot of places. It's written in a palace. It's written in a cave. It's written in a dungeon, in the prison. It's written in the desert. It's written in the city. And it's, it's written in three languages. Three different languages, Aramaic and, and Greek and Hebrew. Hebrew. So you look at this this book we call the Bible, and I'm telling you, it uh, it's an amazing book. There's none like it. It's been translated more than any other book in the entire world, and any books put together. Um, on its own, it 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 testifies on its own that it is unlike any other book. It says it, it is inspired. All of it, it says, is inspired. By God himself. So when we pick this up, this is not just a a book written by man. Men are involved, but God is the one who told them what to write. It's our understanding of inspiration. We don't totally understand that because we're not God. But when we begin to read it, we realize there's some gems and beautiful things in this that we cannot even describe. We can't understand. It's beyond us. It's because it's it's written by God. It's His finger that's on this. It's His hand, and and so maybe maybe one of the first things we should say is that is that we we don't always understand it. There are some parts we scratch our head and we go, "What what in the world? We, that doesn't even make sense." It's not it's not easy. I mean, how do you describe a verse where Jesus says, "If your right eye offend it offends you." Cut it out! I haven't seen too many one-eyed, left-eyed Christians walking around here lately. Or your right hand. If it, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. How, how do you describe that? I mean, I've been looking at you guys pretty, pretty closely, and most of you got both your hands. Has your right hand ever offended you? Well, mine has, but I'm going to hide it back here for a little bit while I'm talking. How about this one? If you if you don't hate your father and mother, you you are not worthy to be my disciple. Woo! That one'll get you. So you got to step back and you say, "Look, um, what's going on here?" This language is pretty stark, pretty graphic. There are people that say, throw it out because that's what it says. Who's going to hate their father and mother? I thought Jesus was all about love. Well, the the reality is you've got to understand that every single piece of Scripture over 1,500 years, 1,500 years with 40 different authors, three different continents, they all have a home. These Scriptures have a home. They come out of a context that is totally unlike other contexts. And if you don't understand that home, that context, that that what we call the historical and the grammatical context. What was the history? What was the culture? How did they feel? How did they think? What did they do? What was their language? What did the words mean? My land, today, in the day I live in right now, preaching to you, I cannot use a lot of words that I used 30, 40, 50 years ago when I preached just because our culture has changed the meaning of the words. And many of them, hate to say, have been sensualized and sexualized. You just can't say them. Because it means something totally different than when I was a kid. And if that's true uh, for us, how how much more it is over all this time that this word has been written. So we got to step back and we got to look. I mean, one of the things I have to... I've laughed out a hundred times in my mind this week. My granddaughter, not my my man, my daughter-in-law, Tara. Remember Tara, who, who gave her testimony? Totally surprised me last week when I was standing here. And she was... I didn't mean to say this, but I did, because it was, it was just a funny thing. A DS's wife teaching her how she's supposed to relate to me as her father-in-law. And she gets on her knees right here in front of you, and she takes uh, something, both knees. She gets down like this. I can hardly do it. And she goes like this. Right? Oh, i got to get back up now. Okay. What's that about? Well, it's not just Africa. It's not Africa. It's got nothing to do with Africa. It's got nothing to do with Malawi, except... It's a little tiny piece of property up in the northern part of Malawi called Mazuzu. It's the only place in all of Africa they practice this. It's not in the rest of Africa. If you went to southern or middle Africa, they wouldn't know what she was doing. But in this part, watch out. If you're a daughter-in-law, don't talk to your father-in-law. <laughs> you want to talk to him, go to, the, go to his brother. If you got something to give him, get on your knees. Man, not, not one amen from the men there at all. I can't figure this out. If you don't understand that culture, you don't understand the scripture. You gotta take time to study to show yourself approved to be a workman that is not ashamed of the word of God. One thing we know about the Jewish culture, by the way, is they overstated a case when they wanted to make a point. So, for instance, when Jesus said, you gotta hate your father and mother, he wasn't really saying you gotta hate your father and mother, he was overstating the case to make a point about loving him more than anything. Now, that makes sense to me. But I'm just saying, when we we look at our scripture, we got to stop and think not about our culture, about the culture of Jesus. And what did he say in verse 30? He said, well, take take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. (laughs) Hallelujah for that. I know more pastors that have put more guilt on more people that have driven them from the church because they put a heavy yoke on the people that Jesus never intended. Come on, church, can I get an amen? Amen. I've seen more broken people suffer under the weight of self-imposed or pastor-imposed guilt. And I prayed all my life, God, save me from being the judge and jury on anyone. That's not my job. It's to take the word of God and lay it out plainly so we can understand it. And the word of God will do the rest. The Holy Spirit's big enough. So take my yoke upon you. You know, if you spell that word yoke wrong, you're going to get the wrong picture. Google up yoke. Y-O-K-E. See what you get. You'll get an egg. Right? He's not talking about an egg, but that's not the way you spell it. It's Y-O-L-K. Let's start there. Take my yoke upon you. Is that right? Y-O-L-K? How, how do you spell it? Y-O-K-E. Y-O-K-E. Sorry. Okay. How do you spell the egg yolk? yolk? Y-O-L-K. Thank you. All right. Man, I'm sure I'm glad you're listening this morning. Uh now, now, for city folk, this idea of yoke doesn't make a lot of sense. But for us who have been around animals, we, we understand a little bit more maybe what a yoke is. Um, I, I just happened to have one in my back pocket this morning when I came to church. It, it's, there are yokes of different varieties, but here's one that kind of explains it well. So, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And learn of me, right? For my yoke, well, it's, it's light. It's not heavy. Take my yoke. A yoke is, of course, um, a device that's made so when animals pull together, they pull equally. And the load becomes lighter. Correct? So um, when Jesus said to his hearers, Take my yoke upon you. They knew exactly what he was saying. My yoke, it's it's not heavy. My burden, it's not light. Um and to understand this, you almost got to start with Jesus, don't you? Jesus is a Jewish rabbi in a Jewish culture gathering. Jewish disciples. He's not a Gentile. He's not French. He's not Hispanic. He's not European. He's a Jew. And some of the movies don't help us there because, you know, you see Jesus, uh, you know, after he's baptized, coming out of the water or whatever, he's got blonde hair, blue eyes, and he's got a French accent. That's not Jesus. So when you look at Jewish people, you understand he's in the first century, and his world is different than ours. And he lived in Galilee, and Galilee was an area that had a group of people. In fact, the people in Galilee, they believe that God spoke literally to, to Moses. Moses is only second to Abraham, to the Jews. And they believe that God spoke deliberately, directly to Moses, and, and, and he gave him what's called the first five books of the Old Testament, right? The Torah, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So we have five books of the Torah, meaning uh, instruction, uh, or, or simply the way, and it's referred to as the law of Moses, Which to this day is still very big to the Jews. It's also very big to Nazarenes. The law. Um, The Torah. The law of Moses. And this law, what's really interesting, in Jesus' day, it became the focus. It became the focus of all their education. So, um, when kids went to school, they learned to read and write and to process their world through the law of Moses, that God gave Moses. Does that make sense? Now, I know this is elementary to some of you, but, but for those that it's not, I mean, it's not that hard to understand. That I mean, in America, when you think about us in America, our schools, um, back in the sixteen seventeen hundreds 1700s, when we, we started having schools in America... Our schools, the curriculum or the textbook was the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. So when a child was learning to read and they read, Thou Shall Not Kill, he knew that was God's law on humanity. And therefore, kids grew up with a moral context that would teach them, guide them, that murder was wrong. Furthermore... um. They learned that thou shalt not covet. And somehow, when they desired to have that bicycle to the kid next door, and they really wanted it so bad they were going to take it, they realized that they should not steal, they should not covet, leave that to God. So there was a context in America, and much of us, my age or older, grew up in that context. Because the Ten Commandments which are part of the law of Moses, we're still taught in our schools, in our school system. Um, so, so now back to the Jews. We have a Jewish rabbi in the first century gathering Jewish disciples, teaching them about the law of Moses. That's a specific context of, of what Jesus says when he talks about taking the yoke. And um, most boys and girls in the, in the Jewish system... Uh, it was kind of like ours, uh, when they're six years old, about six, they would enter the, the educational system. And so now Linda and I have a, have a little a, a granddaughter who's six, and uh, she's, in, uh, she, she's going into first grade, this little gal. She's learning to read and write. Um, so I get that, because it's kind of like my own culture. And, and they would enter this, this, the local synagogue... And they would be taught by a, a local rabbi, or maybe a Torah teacher, and they would be taught how to read and write by reading the Torah. Now, this is pretty amazing, and I'm going to try to go through this part just kind of quick, if I can. But if you look at the back of your um, your, your worship folder, I threw something down here for you just, just to help, because it's not the easiest thing sometimes to figure out, when I start talking in hieroglyphics, I want to slow down just a bit. But, but you know, the title of my message is, here's the God who believes in you. Here's the God who says, listen, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Um, come into to me. Just come. If you're tired, worn out, beat up, broken, come in. I'm going to give you some rest. Well, well, here's here's three levels of education that this guy was raised in that he taught, that Jesus was, that he taught. And there's three levels here of education that I just want to throw out. The first is called Bet Sefer. Now, I'm going to put them up here on the the screen so you can see them. And I I made a spot there if it helps you to write it down, because we already know that when you hear things, you only learn, you only remember a certain percentage. Uh, If you see it, uh, you learn a better percentage. You learn it better if you see it. If you write it down, you really have a better opportunity to learn. So if you want to learn, I'd suggest you take a pencil and paper and write it down unless you already know this stuff. So it's called Bet Sefer, and this represents the house of the book. So they enter the house of the book, they enter the house of the book at age 6, and they go until about age 10, and they begin to memorize the Torah. Now, now think of this. Were you asleep when I said that? They're going to memorize the Torah, age 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. So for five years, they're going to focus not only on the Word of God, but on the Torah, the Old Testament piece of scripture from Moses. And they're going to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Every word in the Old Testament they're going to memorize. <laughs> now, we have Bible quizzing in the Church of the Nazarene, do we not? Uh, and and I understand we're kicking that up a little bit more. Someone's got a passion to do that, and I'm loving it. Get the word of God in them. Get the, just get the word of God in them. And uh, and so this is called House of the Book because they're learning the book. They're they're memorizing the book. I, I would not even as a pastor I would not want to go up against the House of Sefer uh, Bible Quizzing Team from Galilee. Would you? Well, some of you gals would, but not me. That's, that's not my thing. You're going to whip me. At the end of these the, these five years, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, Beth suffer. they the best of the best now, uh, they move on. It, it, if you don't quite make the cut, you go back home, and you get involved in, in whatever mom and dad does, carpentry, uh, raising sheep, uh, whatever they do, you 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 get involved in the home, in home life. But the best of the best, they move on up. And they go to the house of Talmud. Check this out. So the house of Talmud is the house of learning. So now they take Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and they begin to learn everything that it means. They study it. They think about it. They've memorized it. And now they go through this process of kind of figuring out, okay, uh, What does it mean? Um, Then the next the next stage is is Bet Talmud, T A L M U D. Bet Talmud. By the way, uh, just for fun, uh, this is not going to cost anything extra. I promise. Um, You understand the word Bet, don't you? Because we have Bethlehem, right? Where Jesus is born. Bethlehem is the house of not meat. Ham bet bet the house of bread, right? So all these bets are the house of this is the house of the book house of learning. Now we have bet Talmud, which is the house of learning, and they're studying. But the best of the best of the best, they go on. However, if you if you're not the best of the best, you don't make the cut. You're not you don't make the grade. You go back home, just like you did in, in the first level you go back home and you and you be, you begin doing whatever dad does or or whatever mom does you you get into the, the family business and you run the family business with mom and dad but if you're the best of the best then you go to the, this you go to you you go to the house of of Midrash now you begin to study you interpret you decide what it means what it looks like um, what does this scripture mean? When, 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 when for instance, now this, obviously, um, the, Jesus has not come around yet, but since I mentioned the scripture, um, you know, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. What does that mean? Does it mean cut it off literally? How am I going to interpret this? How am I going to use it? This is called Bet Midrash. And so they interpret the scripture. They do exposition. They break the scripture down. They study it. To this day, if you go to Israel, to this day, uh, maybe you've been there. You go to the Wailing Wall, and you stand in front of that great Wailing Wall. You see the men on one side. You see the men on, the, the women on, the, on, on your right. If you're looking at the wall, they're on the right. If you're looking at the wall, the men are on the left. And to the left, there's a little door. You almost got to squinch down to get inside, and it opens up into a huge compartment of rooms look like caves. And there's other rooms split off, little rooms. And there's all these rabbis. There's these young men... And they're sitting there with the Torah, and they're going like this. They all have the phylactic on their head. They've got the Word of God on their head. And they're studying the Word of God. To this day, in the 21st century. It goes on. So now, the best of the best of the best, we're at, we're at the house of Midrash. The house of study, exegesis, explanation, Understanding. If you don't make the cut, you go back home. But if you are the best of the best of the best, now you go out and you find yourself a rabbi. A rabbi you want to follow. And you choose a rabbi, and you become his disciple. Well, actually, you apply. I want to become your disciple. I want to follow you. And and when you think of a disciple in Jesus' day... um, uh. Normally, when we think of a disciple, we think of someone who knows what you know. But in their day, it's a whole lot more than that. It's, it's someone who not only knows what you know, but they want to become what you are. Whatever you are, I want to be. So, so it's I want to do what you do, but I, I want to be who you are. And different radli- rabbis had different interpretations of what Scripture meant. We still got that today, right? Yeah. Amen? So you still got that today. So, so, you'd go to this rabbi, and, 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 and you'd, you'd apply, and he would sit you down, and he would say, now, let me let me, uh, just see, uh, uh, let, let me just see how good you are, and he would grill you. He would ask you questions. He would push you to the wall. When I was in cemetery, uh, seminary, and I was getting ready to graduate, I had to do what's called oral exams. I had one professor I'd never had in school. It's a three-year program, this master's program, Master of Divinity. Remember, it's the Master of Fudge-Making, Divinity, right? Got it? Okay. Uh, Three-year program. Now you got the orals, and I've got this professor, three of them sitting there grilling me. The professor I'd never had, he asked me to define the word good. Good. And he kept me running on the definition of... I didn't know what he wanted. You know, sometimes... It's knowing what the professor wants, right? I didn't know what the guy wanted. Apparently, whatever it was, wasn't good enough because he assigned me some more work, I guess, to study what good is. But this, this guy's going to grill you. He's going to ask you to understand the Torah because he knows the minute you say, yes, I'm going I'm to receive you, he knows that what that means is you're going to take my yoke upon you are you big enough to carry my yoke? Can you handle my interpretation? Are you following me now, church? So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he knows. He knows that these, these people, he's saying this to them. He knows they understand what a yoke is, and they understand that, well, it's more than just knowing about the law and the traditions and oral tradition and, interpretation, and if he looks at you and he goes, well, you know, you're a pretty good kid. I like you, and man, you're pretty sharp, but I don't think you can carry my yoke. Then he says, go back home, go back to the family business. You're not making the cut for my yoke. But if he looks at the student, he goes, hey, man, I think you got it. I think you could do it. He says three words. You know what the words are? Come, follow Me. Now, you think about this. You think about this. In the Gospels, we see Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee. He comes across Peter and Andrew, brothers. And they're preparing their nets for fishing. They're young men, but what are they doing? They're in the family tradition. They're doing the daddy's work. which You know what that means. I mean, has it, ever, has it ever just kind of boggled your mind? When you read this passage, Jesus says, come follow me. Immediately, it says they dropped the nets and they followed him. And I'm going, say, what? You can't just walk away from your job. Is that, have, how many would you say that? That's, I've always wondered about that. Well, I have. Well, now it makes perfect sense. Because guess what? Peter, or Andrew and Peter, they didn't make the grade. They were not the best of the best of the best. And now Jesus, the rabbis, walking along. And he looks at them and he goes, hey, guys, what are you doing? Oh, we're fishing. Huh? Come, follow me. Immediately. And you see this two or three times in the scripture. James and John, sons of Zebedee. Come, follow me. Immediately, they followed Jesus. They hadn't made the cut. You know, we've talked a little bit about Peter walking on water, and remember when Peter sank. I, um, some people thought th- think that Peter doubted Jesus. I don't think that at all. I think Peter doubted himself. Jesus was the one who was saying, "Come on, Peter." Saying, "Hey, Lord, if, if that's you, let me know." Jesus and I'm coming. Why? Well, because Jesus, because Peter knew taking the yoke of Jesus was just trusting in him, believing in him. But bigger than that, I think, is the beautiful thing that, well, obviously Jesus believed in these guys. Andrew, Peter, come. Come on, guys. I know you didn't make the cut with the other rabbis. Here's the deal, guys. Take my yoke upon you. Forget their yoke. Their yoke's too heavy take my yoke upon you for my burden it's easy, it's light oh. isn't there a songwriter that, that wrote a song something like uh, his yoke is easy, his burden is light oh. page Floyd Kramer knows it every time <laughs> page 444 I found it so I found it so ah. I don't know, I just I just know as a pastor I've met so many people over the years that didn't think they were good enough for the Lord. I don't even think that's the question. I, I, I think I think part of the question is do you realize that God looks at you and he says, Hey, come on. You may not have made the cut for some of them rabbis out there, but I'm the son of God. I am Emmanuel. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Learn about me. Try to become like me, not somebody else. Because here's the deal. When you do, you'll find out something about me. I'm not heavy-handed. I love... I love what Jesus says here. I need this today. I'm not heavy-handed. I I am humble. This is Jesus, the Son of God, saying, I am humble and I am gentle. I don't know what kind of God you serve, but I'd suggest you follow the God of the Bible when he says, I am humble and I'm not heavy-handed. I'm not a heavy-handed rabbi. My burden, my yoke, you put it on you, you'll find out it's, it's easy. <laughs> it's like Oh, man, I think I'm going to get saved this morning all over again, church. You know, we used to sing another song uh, years ago, and we still do once in a while. Because it's the epitome, in my opinion, of, of this whole idea of that sephir Bet Talmud and Bet Midrash because remember it wasn't just about doing, knowing it was about being being like Jesus so one of my favorite of all all the hymns we've ever sung is oh to be like thee oh to be like thee blessed redeemer pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness. Come in thy fullness. Cast thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, I don't know. I think most of us here want to be disciples of Jesus. I'm just telling you, probably it's a whole lot easier than what most of us make it out to be. So what do you say this morning? We close and just say, Lord, um, uh, yeah, um, I'm going to come and follow you. I'm going to put on your yoke. I'm not going to put on a yoke of the Church of the Nazarene or some other denomination. Oh, yeah, I, I got no problem being a Nazarene. I was born one right on the front pew. But 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 I'm more a disciple of Jesus than I am anything else. Uh, I want to put on his yoke. I've served under some pastors that have a pretty heavy yoke. And it's taught me I don't want to be one of those. You know, uh, I, one of the biggest compliments I think I've ever seen when I've gone to Africa is this... Um, I'm driving down the, the roads of Malawi. Our Compassionate Ministries Director, Chin I'm saying, take a break, break buddy. He had been driving for us for two days, and I've driven a lot over there, so I just said, why don't you relax with the team? Well, I'm kind of a jokey guy. I'm going to have fun, and sometimes I'm going to put it in your face. So Chin right behind me. Oh, man, I, I I love this guy dearly. Just what a great man. And so he's back there laughing with the team. And I said, HNCC. He said, yeah, what do you want, Dr. Les? I said, well, would you say that we're one of your favorite teams to <laughs> come to Africa? <laughs> now, I'm just joking. I, I really am. I'm just joking. But I'm going to have some fun. And, and he goes, yeah, Dr. Les, I would say you guys are one of my favorite teams. I said, well, tell us about it. How come? Now I'm pushing him. Here's what he said. Now last week, Tara mentioned this. But in my opinion, she forgot the most important part. And she talked about how we always laugh, we have a good time, we seem to fit into the culture very well. But here's what he said. He said, every time you guys come all these years, Dr. Les, you sit with the people. A lot of groups, they come and they stay in their group. Wherever they go, it's the Americans or the Australians or whoever they are. But not you guys, when you come, you sit down in the dirt with the children. You hug the pastors. You weep with the wives. You wash their feet. You, you know one of the best marks of a shepherd? He smells like sheep. <laughs> now I close with this. I close with this. It's a pretty cool illustration. You know... Let's do it this way. Girls, would you mind? Would you mind? Come on up here, would you please? Come on, guys, all three of you. Come on, come on, come on. So here's the deal. Let's do it this way. I, I don't know what I'm doing half the time, but let's just make this up for fun, okay? So uh, let's take the yoke. Here we go. Come over here, come over here. We need some room. We need some room. Okay, get behind me, get behind me. Okay, so here we are. Okay, grab the yoke. Come on, get a hold of the rope. Okay, here we go. Okay, we're gonna, come on, come on. Come on. What are we doing We're walking together. Wherever I go, you go, right? So you see rabbis, wherever they go, he's got a group of disciples behind him. And what you'll notice is wherever the rabbi steps, they step, right? What are they stepping in? Well, dust, dirt, yeah. And uh, they have a lot of animals, do they not, in that day? And the animals go where the people go, right? So what do you step in? Look at. I used to be in marching band. And we always followed the horses. I don't know why, <laughs> but you couldn't watch where you're stepping. You are marching, and sometimes you step in it, right? And one of, the, one of the phrases that developed in the first century was this, may your feet be dusty and dirty with the feet of your master, with the dirt of your master. May you smell like him. Oh, That's the Jesus we want to be. You don't want to smell like me, church. You want to smell like Jesus. We want to smell like him. Amen? Amen. We want his dust to be on our legs, on our thighs, on our chest. Wherever we go, we want to smell like him. Lord, today, we're looking at this yoke thing, and we're realizing Jesus you want us just to keep our eyes on you, walk with you, be close to you, listen to you, breathe your air, step in your dust. So it's all over as it saturates our lives. Lord, that's who I want to give myself to today. The Jesus of the cross, who even though he was God, he gave up his rights as God. And he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Oh, to be like you, Jesus. Oh, to be like thee, precious Redeemer, pure as thou art. My friend today, I just encourage you to reach out to him. Say, Lord, I need you today. I need you right now. Would you step into my life and make make me new, make me fresh, make me Lord like you, Jesus. And I'll walk with you this week. I'll listen to your voice. I'll feel your touch. And Lord, by the end of this week, I'll be covered with your dust. And I'll give you praise because you have welcomed me in Jesus' name. Amen, church. Let's go follow him. Amen. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. God bless. You don't have to rush off. You can meet a new friend. Uh, You can say hi to somebody. Uh, Take your time. We're going to leave the lights on. All right. I want to thank you for joining today's sermon podcast. You can find a copy of today's sermon, as well as other sermons, and the sermon outline from today on our church's website, www.mvcnaz.org. It is my prayer also that you will seek out a church home that recognizes the authority of the Bible.